First thing, Robert Murray McShane wrote some good hymns, wonderful poems, a minister in Scotland in the early 1800s, wonderful uh, biography of him by Andrew Bonar. He said about his own pastorate, writing to his congregation, when I first entered upon the work of the ministry among you, I was exceeding ignorant of the vast importance of church discipline. I thought that my great and almost only work was to pray and preach. I saw your souls to be so precious and the time so short that I devoted all my time and care and strength to labor in word and doctrine. When cases of discipline were brought before me and the elders, I regarded them with something like abhorrence. It was a duty I shrank from. And I may truly say it nearly drove me from the work of the ministry among you altogether. But it pleased God who teaches his servants in another way than man teaches to bless some of the cases of discipline to the manifest and undeniable conversion of the souls under our care. And from that hour, a new light broke in upon my mind. And I saw that if preaching be an ordinance of Christ, so is church discipline. I now feel very deeply persuaded that both are of God, that two keys are committed to us by Christ. The one, the key of doctrine, by means of which we unlock the treasures of the Bible. The other, the key of discipline, by which we open or shut the way to the sealing ordinances of the faith. Both are Christ's gift, and neither is to be resigned without sin. I think that's a great statement. If you think you've seen, like the, like the example Garrett just gave us, really manifest cases of conversion come from your church pursuing church discipline. One brother was sharing me one right there in the back on the way in. Would you just stand? If you think in your church you've seen people converted through uh, practicing church discipline, would you guys stand? Um, so here are a few that are standing. Uh, converted. Converted. I would love you to talk to these friends at the break, uh, maybe get some of those stories circulating and shared. Um, I think it's an encouragement to us. Uh, certainly we've seen people restored, as Danny's saying. Uh, then uh, two quick questions that we can follow up. I want to do Jonathan's kind of lightning round. Let me do it lightning, and then we can have any brief conversation about it. And then after I do these two things, I'm handing it over to Jonathan. One, do you excommunicate? Garrett mentioned the unnerving idea to some people anyway, that you would actually excommunicate for non-attendance. Raise your hand if that seems mildly crazy. Come on, a few more hands. You're not being honest. All right, I'm seeing a few hands. There are other people who in their hearts are raising their hands. Okay. Uh, yes or no, excommunicate for non-attendance. Danny? We'll discuss it more in a moment, but let's just lightning round. To be very honest, I had not thought about it much, so I've still got to think on it. Yep. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do we want to talk about this at all? <laughs> yes. I meant yes. Did I say no? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Toby, let me go on and get the other one out here, because this one's going to be as awkward as the last one. And then, Jonathan, over to you if you want to talk about either of these. Yes or no, let's say a brother has committed adultery while a pastor. And then he is genuinely repentant, and there's been restoration with the parties involved, and it's very public, 
And th- there is just no misstep in the repentance. It's genuine. And no one near the situation has any questions about it. Uh, the person, you know, is, in, is under discipline. He's taken out of the ministry, but he's restored to the fellowship of the church. Can he be restored to ministry? Yes or no? And then we can talk about it more in a moment, but just lightning round, yes or no? Danny? No. No. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Garrett, they're demand. I'm sorry. Look at demand you say something. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking through. I'm 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 undecided. Well, let's just go with maybe. So what? Maybe. I I have that. This is a testimony testimony of one of my elders. I don't know. All right. Thinking through it. Jonathan. (laughs) Jonathan. Maybe eventually after a long time. Yeah. That was not a yes or a no. Yeah, I I I agree. I'll give a lightning. I'll give a lightning. Yes. But I'd have a lot of footnotes on both of those answers, but I'd give a lightning yes. Jonathan, over to you if you want to talk about either of these things more. So let's make a mess and then hand it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Been doing it for years. <laughs> have you never noticed that? <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's go back to each one of those. Uh, let's start, start with non-attendance. Um, the biblical grounds for that would be anyone? Hebrews 10. Which says? Do not neglect to assemble. It's a pretty straightforward yeah. command. Yeah. Do not forsake the assembling yourselves together. And we can't keep credibly affirming your profession of faith. You're just not there. We don't know. It came out in the last night in a conversation with Ligon that apparently this is why Presbyterian Church, who are you all from PCA Church? Do you guys have what you call a friendship pad that you pass uh, down the pew? <laughs> kind of? What do you call it? The what? The peace profile. I'm sure Mez it's has one of those. It's how you tell who's there every Sunday. So it's really the way you, you find out people are there so that if they're not, you excommunicate them. The, the, the conversation last night was that our, our book of church order requires us to begin a process of either discipline or removing from the roles anyone who is in non-attendance for a period of a year. And now, so you certainly don't mean older folks who can't make it, people in the military, exactly, nothing like that. You know, exactly. People who are perfectly able, able to, to be there yeah, these are and people choose who are not, to to choose not Sunday to, after right. Sunday after right. Sunday. Yeah. I would feel more comfortable if it is in your church covenant where when they come in and enter into membership, it's a specified expectation. I would then lean more strongly in that direction. Your statement or your book of church order says one year. Do you specify a time? So in and that, if, if not, how long? Yeah. So in, in, that, in the article that um, is on the Nine Marks website, our, our elders, the teaching of what we think it means to regularly attend, we, just, we tell people that we expect them to be at church more Sundays than not. And then, of course, if you're homebound or there's particular situations with, with your work or whatever, there's lots of pastoral wisdom that needs to go into all of that. But, and we think that's very generous. I think the assumption in the New Testament is that Christians gather every single Sunday. Like that's what Christians do. They get together to sit under the word and to encourage each other. Paul that's seemed to assume it in 1 Corinthians 16. That's just what you do. So I just don't know what, like you said, I just don't know what it means to be a Christian and not go to church. So, so how, how long? They've not been there for how long you're moving towards? If we haven't seen someone in six months, 
which we're going to be reaching out to them in that time. And if they're unresponsive for six months, and this includes notes, texts, tweets, pigeons, we've gone to their house, everything, everything we can do to try and... Pigeons. You send a pigeon. A pigeon. I haven't gotten that pigeon out. I'm from What's West that? Virginia. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was thinking, he meant pigeon. <laughs> like a physical bird. Yeah. That's think, what he meant. So I think six months, we're going to begin, we're going to begin that process. That process. Uh, Mr. No, we don't. Yes, we do. How long for you guys? <laughs> No, we don't now. I'm firm now. <laughs> That's what I was afraid That's of. That's what that attitude's going to get you. Thabiti? Thabiti, how long? How long what, brother? <laughs> how long does somebody have to not be there before you move toward a discipline? They're getting ornery late yeah, afternoon. No. <laughs> it's late afternoon. They're feeling the same way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would think six months to a year is, is reasonable. And uh, with all of the sort of follow-up and efforts and things of that sort. Now, Mark, you, it's been six months, nine months, can't get through to them. Finally, you do get through to them. Lo and behold, they're at a different church. It stops at that right point, right? Or no? Not if it's a Roman Catholic church. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about that. They leave your church. <laughs> it's late afternoon, guys. We should just get into it. Here we go. All of our church practices will probably not be identical. So somebody leaves your church and joins a Roman Catholic church, formally, formally gospel-denying, sola fide-denying church. You move towards excommunication. So there's got to be a lot of conversations. We're going to talk through all of this. You just want a yes or no, but there has to You're be kinds of conversations. Why are you going there? Talk to me about what, what, what's behind this. And, but eventually, it has to be. You're going to have to renounce the gospel of grace in order to join the Roman Catholic Church. Thabiti? Will we move toward discipline? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mez? Oh, yeah. Ligon? There wouldn't be a formal process of excommunication. There wasn't during my 17 years, but we would make it, first of all, we would not uh, do anything official like transferring a letter, not that a Roman Catholic church would want a letter from a Presbyterian church, but we, we wouldn't. Well, they we, might from First Pres Jackson. No. <laughs> uh, Even, how do you even respond? Well, well you, you, wait, you wait for Danny's talk. Danny's talk on 1 Corinthians 5 where excommunication starts public. So we can start public with first we, we would in that case make it clear that we view the process of removing their name from the role an act of discipline mm -hmm. and that we would express there would be an expression of concern. Uh, and that would, have ha that would have happened long before they joined the church, I assure you. And would you do the same thing if somebody joined a Baptist church? Well, not your church. No, it depends. There's some, there, there are some, there are some Baptist churches that we, we might, but... Uh, oh, we, us too. Us too. too. A gospel-denying Baptist church. What about a sin-affirming church? Certain things, activities... Gay marriage is okay. The Bible says is sin. They say is not sin. They have an orthodox statement of faith. United Methodists say statement of faith. 
but they formally affirm sin, would you excommunicate after all the pastoral care and conversations and <laughs> reaching in? <laughs> this, I'm not being Pigeons, the whole bit, sacrifice the pigeon and all that. <laughs> the sending the pigeon. You don't sacrifice the pigeon. <laughs> You send the pigeon. In Georgia, they sacrifice, sacrifice the pigeon. And we eat pigeon, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, friends, it's been a good conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna, who was I asking that question? Mez, you were asking Mez. Mez. No. You would not excommunicate oh, somebody. yeah. <laughs> Exactly what I thought. Exactly what I thought. I'm clear on all of this. I'm clear. Yes. Ligon? Those questions were regularly a part of the elders' deliberations during the time of the session meeting when we were dealing with role issues, dismissals, etc. Not unlike in a membership meeting at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. We would have that once a month, and the elders would have exactly those kinds of discussions. Now, we didn't move to a formal process of excommunication, but they did view, again, the removal from the role as an act of discipline and the non-transfer of a letter um, as, as making a statement. The beating. I agree with Mez. Amen, brother. <laughs> yes, no? <I'm> <laughs> yeah, my, my comment is working. I agree with Mez. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're losing control. Yeah, confuse the host. Danny? What's the question one more time? <laughs> Somebody joining a gay-affirming church. Uh, I would take steps to uh, exercise discipline. Mark? Yeah, I think 1 Corinthians 6 is so clear. Paul says, you know, do not be deceived. You know, and then he lists all these things that, you know, it, nobody... Thieves will not inherit the kingdom. Swindlers, you know. Drunkards, all, all these people, uh, people who are like this, he says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just so clear. Now, so if we have a church coming along and they say, listen, I got this great shortcut to the kingdom of God, whereby you can be an unrepentant swindler and still inherit the kingdom of God. I know it is exactly contrary to what 1 Corinthians 6 says. But there were cultural reasons swindling was not appreciated then in the way it is now. So, you know, I really trust us on this shortcut. Then it's not that we want to add anything to the gospel of grace and justification by faith alone. But we think that faith which is alone never is alone. That faith which alone saves is always accompanied by, is, as the Puritan I quoted earlier said, is attended by works of the Spirit, and those include repentance for all those kinds of things. So that a, that a brother or sister would struggle with these things, hey, that's our whole church. But that a brother or sister would surrender and say, I can, I can love this sin and cultivate this sin and inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says no. So if a church, something calling itself a church, is teaching them a way to heaven that won't get them to heaven, we love them well by making it clear that if they choose to join a church that teaches that, they're teaching the opposite of what we understand to be the truth about how somebody's forgiven. So because of that, we would be constrained to move toward the congregation excommunicating them uh, as calling themselves a Christian but living oppositely. And I, go ahead. 
I mean, I think these difficult questions are yet another argument for plurality of elders. So when our own congregation was faced with certain situations like these, our elders spent a lot of time studying, think about, writing memos for one another, uh, emailing friends outside, different, you know, quote-unquote experts, like how do we think about this, these things? So, you know, the takeaway, less a takeaway lesson here, I think, is not just hey, listen to what these guys say, but employ and use your elders for these very difficult sorts of questions as they arise. For instance, I remember when we were thinking through this one, Mark, you made the remark, well, what if you had a church that sponsored adultery? Hey, we're the church that gathers around Jesus and adultery. How in the world could you send someone to such a church? Right, and say, yes, we affirm that you're a gospel believer. But it was that process of thinking through things together that was terrifically helpful for me and I, and I think others. Jonathan, can I say something on this point? Yes, please. Now, here's where, though, we, we, we mocked him slightly. Uh, our brother Garrett's qualifications are right, though. Because even though we could talk about this conceptually and, and land on 1 Corinthians 6 and, you know, this is bad. The case, one of the cases you were just talking about was a situation where we actually, because of a number of complicating uh-huh. factors, uh-huh. did not discipline the person. And it yes. seemed to us wise and godly uh, and caring for that person not to do so. Um, so I think it's important as, you, as people are listening to this conversation and not walking away with, you know, black, white, check this box, you know, drop a hammer. That's just not how it works. Uh, it's, it's, it's grittier than that. It's slower than that. It's, it's more prayerful than that. Even, even if you're clear on principle, sometimes working, working that principle out, you know, begins to sort of turn and bend and twist a bit. And, and I think people need to be, I, I just, I, I want folks to hear us say that because I don't want to give the, the wrong impression that you've got a list of things that ipso facto you just discipline all. That's right. Um, yeah, I so. agree with every word of that. Yeah. That's very wise. And sometimes processes take years. Yeah. It doesn't happen in minutes. Even for non-attendance. And, and, and in that... <laughs> I just want to be clear that it's no, because I don't have that issue in my church. How about them apples, big boy? And in that, that situation, Tabidi... Our, like, when do you move on, right? When do you... <laughs> Next topic. Do we want to pick back up the restoration? Anything further? Was, uh, yeah, yeah, let's go back. There, there we go. You brothers gave your answers. Mm, some no's, some yeses, a couple of maybes. How do you, how do you think through that question of restoration for, for uh, a pastor? So, Elder. In my situation, um, I've got a brother, and I'm happy to make... <clears throat> this public because it's public. So there was a many years ago, probably well well over 30 years ago, there was a pastor of what of my church was a mission hall then and um, he committed adultery. It was a big scandal uh, with, a, with a girl in the community and um, she was pregnant. He was, um, it wasn't formal discipline, he just resigned walked away from the mission, walked away from the faith for 25 years. And when I came into ministry, um, I met him one day by chance and he told me his story. And we just sat and talked to him. I said, it's a long time in the wilderness and et cetera. He's 
but he came to a place of repentance and faith, trust in Christ, returned to our church where he wasn't known by, by very few, some elderly, who've all largely gone now, um, was just so godly and humble and just a deeply spiritual brother that over the four or five years of getting to know him, seeing him, watching him serve and pastor and shepherd people unofficially, you know, we could not help but bring him into the eldership of our church despite those things long ago. And he's such a massive pastoral help in a very broken community. So that's why I gave my answer. Rightly or wrongly. Any other brothers want to comment on this? Yeah, I, I would say that um, it obviously goes to First Timothy 3 and manage the household well. Not, not just a. Oh, I agree. But I mean, that's the. Which one are you thinking the, the about? Above, above, above approach. approach. That, that right. to me is the, 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 the demarcation here. Yeah. One woman, man. Yeah. Because yeah. all of the others flow from it. But for me, and, and I, I wouldn't get into a, I respect um, Metz's answer, and I can live with that. I can. For me, the issue of being above reproach, I don't know how one gets that back across the board with all in the community. And I think I'd rather err on the side of safety in this particular instance than, than the other. So for me, it's the one above reproach, which of course then husband, one wife, and manages his own household well, relates specifically to how that one is lived out in those two contexts. Good reputation with outsiders. Yes. So uh, maybe we were sitting too early in the yes, no process, because this brother and I obeyed the instruction and the further it went that way, the more caveats and qualifi qualifications you got. Um, Thank you. you know, you're, you're, um, so, you're very godly and obedient. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well, every once in a while. So, you know, like you, I think I, I would live with what Mez has articulated here. I, you know, the grace is in the details. You know, you're talking about something that's 25 years old. Most we, of the we had years of debate with the, the elders who were. Who yeah. yeah. Most of the community doesn't remember, but they're observing some evidences of genuine repentance. And when you talk about restoration, I think you, we helpful to sort of talk about various aspects of that. Most people's minds rush right back, right straight to restoration to ministry. Hold on. Restoration to Christ. Got to restore this brother to his family and his children. Got to restore the breaches that have been made with the church and the trust of the church. All of that before you get to restoration to ministry. Um, so I just think that's a longer road that is in the mind of most people I know struggling with this or having some experience with this. And I do think the, the, the qualifications at least tilt me toward no, and then let's see, you know, given the details. In, in this instance, he actually affirmed years later. He said, I don't think I was saved. That's one of the reasons we went, we, we, we were more leaning. He said, I don't think I was actually a Christian when that occurred. Well, that's a big mitigating factor for me. Yeah. Pre-conversion, post-conversion yeah. is a big line in the sand for me on a lot of issues. And, and that's when we were much more open to having the discussion. Yeah. yeah, I can think of two cases, one with a deacon, one with an elder, where this has been done, not in our church, uh, but in one of them in one church that I served previously, 
in, in the, the two cases were extremely different from each other. But in both cases, I think it was done appropriately in a God-honoring way. The, the people served, uh, or in the one case, the person served faithfully, and the other one, I think they would. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was, I, I agree with every concern you have, and I even, I think your instinct to say no, to protect the integrity of the pastorate and the, the witness of the church is a good instinct. It's a Christ-honoring instinct. I also think we honor the gospel by the display of, of the kind of grace and mercy that is shown not only in Andrew's story that you read about him being restored to membership, but I would say, you know, were he to be put forward as an elder someday, uh, I do think he could be above reproach in a way that would be sufficient for him to serve in that way. I, I would have questions. I would, and if brothers on the eldership, like if this were our eldership, and again, we're hoping that someday you will serve on the same eldership with us. But if, uh, if, this, if this were our eldership and we were this divided, then obviously we wouldn't go forward. But if everybody were okay with it, I, 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 would, be, I would be glad about that. I would think, yeah, I think this is, a, this is a kind of gracious risk worth taking. And I often don't think there's a lot of difference between those brothers and the rest of us who's whose sins and hearts are just not known as publicly because we haven't sinned in that way. I don't mean to demean that, diminish no. the significance of the sin at all. Uh, and I do think there's a big danger in that direction where I deal with more sort of liberal churches. But in Bible-believing churches, uh, that's not the biggest danger that I think I see on this topic. Yeah, no. See, and that's where I just think context matters. Because yep. if I think of a number of churches in my community, I can think of a number of pastors who have disqualified themselves sometimes in very public ways, and have remained in the pulpit uh, or have gone to the next church. And um, that's not only true of, of my community, um, but I do think sort of context matters on that. Yeah, and I saw like in Brazil all of the time, pastors would be committing adultery. Two months later, they'd be in another church pastoring, like Jesus has forgiven me, so just must you. Just nonsense. Yeah, the only, the only thing I'd want to add or to sort of tease out here, building on your comments, Thabiti, is, and I say this because so often you hear evangelicals say, but we want to be forgiving, we want to be gracious. I mean, how is this, how is this those things? How is this, if we're going to ban him from, from the pastorate, how is this gracious and forgiving? And there I just want to be really clear that there is a distinction between uh, what we are as members of the church and what we are as officers of the church. And they have, as it were, two different sets of requirements. The requirement to be a member is repent and believe. The requirement to be an elder or an officer in that capacity is everything that you see in, in 1 Timothy 3. And it's over here in the member category with the member hat, member office, that all of those exhortations towards grace and forgiveness and re-embracing and working with them apply. Whereas when they're ready to be restored to office, well, that's a different conversation, right? I, just, I don't think that distinction is clear in a lot of evangelical no. minds. Repentance brings about restoration to membership almost immediately, to leadership right. much later, if at all. Right much later, if at all, years. Because if a man has been guilty of adultery for a number of years, to restore him in a number of weeks or months, I think is foolish. And you're inviting 
danger not only to your flock, but even to his own life. He's not ready to step back into that position where there's so much pressure, so much responsibility, so many expectations. He, we're doing him a disservice by putting him back there quickly. That's right. I certainly agree with that. Yeah. And of course, part of what you're, you're dealing with when you're shepherding that man is, is any number of possible heart reactions uh, from entitlement, the notion that he's entitled to be a pastor, to fear. I, 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 can't, I can't do anything else to provide for my family. Yeah. And so there's just a range of then things that begin to surface that you suss out that would be improper motivations to the ministry um, that you want to sort of shepherd that person through as you're putting sort of down the road any prospect of restoration to the ministry, if, if at all. Thank you, brothers. <laughs>